0: I'm so honored to be able to come this morning and share with you all. Um, As James mentioned, I'm the family minister over just around the lake, Lake Forest Park, Presbyterian church. And I got to know James and Liz last year. Um, I just started my job and I walked in and you know, it was January. So we were already thinking about VBS and they said, uh, there's a church that would like to partner together and work together. And I was couldn't have been more excited to have um, met them and partnered with them. Um, let me just say that you're really blessed to have a, a pastor who really values children and, and families and sees that God is at work in children's lives right now. And we're not training them up for... Um, becoming Christians when they're adults, but that God is really doing a work in children's lives um, right now. So I love how, how James and Liz just value um, value families and value children. So I'm really grateful to be here this morning. In a minute, I'm gonna read our passage. I decided to jump into your series. Um, so we're in 1 Peter 4 this morning, if you wanna follow along with me. And in a minute, I will read the passage. Before I do that, let us pray. God, we are here this morning because we want to hear a word from you. We know that you have the words of life and we know that um, true life is found in living for you and doing your will. So we pray that you'd speak to us now As we come to your word, that your Holy Spirit would um, have a specific word for each one of us, that we could go from this place changed and um, with more, with a vision of who you are and of who we are and who you want us to be together in community. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, our passage this morning is 1 Peter 4 1 through 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done within. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they'll have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins, through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. There is a before and an after in the Christian life, a BC. I experienced this as a high school student. You see, I really hit my prime in junior high. In junior high, I was the queen bee, and then when I got to high school, I was way down at the bottom of the totem pole. I felt very alone and uh, very small in this big high school. I'd always played sports growing up, so I joined the tennis team and the basketball team, and these teams were known for partying on the weekends. So I reluctantly went to the parties, tried things out with this ever-increasing sense of loneliness and meaninglessness. By the time I was in a junior in high school, I was harboring a secret depression. I was invited to attend a youth group at a local church in Northern California, and after being asked a number of times to go by the same person, um, I finally said I would, and I discovered something very different in this group. I walked into this youth group and I sensed this feeling of love and belonging that I had not seen in my high school. That feeling kept me coming back to the youth group until I heard the gospel clearly. Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I didn't deserve it. I just knew that it was true. I knew that God wanted me to hand over the keys to my life. I had just gotten my driver's license, I was 16. So this vivid memory of handing over the keys to my life, letting God be in the driver's seat. Living for the will of God just felt like the overflowing, the natural response to experiencing the love that I knew Jesus had for me as a high school student. There really wasn't any way around it. So this meant when I came back to school for my senior year of high school, it was really different. I didn't feel like I could hang out with the same group I was hanging out with, my partying friends. I felt like for this time as a baby Christian, I had to be surrounded by Christian community. And frankly, we were weird. (laughs) We stood out on the campus, we would gather together and pray together before school. Um, But this, this time was really special for me of growing in my faith with Christians. Peter this morning is talking to a group of Christians who also lived a before and an after. As James has been sharing with you, these were Christians who were living as exiles outside of rome in pontus galatia cappadocia asia bithynia and peter is saying you used to live in these old ways debauchery idolatry but now i invite you to live in the newness of life peter calls this the will of god he knows though that there will be battles that it's not going to be easy And so he wants these communities to have some armor for the battle. What do they have in the battle? What you see in a battle makes a big difference. Consider, for example, two kids on the playground. One kid starts to bully the other kid. And make fun of him and call him names. And the kid who's being bullied starts to feel very afraid and shakes, but as he does this, the bully backs off. He sees what the bully can't see. The boy's father is coming up behind him and he does not look happy. He also looks huge and very strong. And so before you know it, the bully is running and the boy is in his father's arms. This morning when Peter calls Christians to arm yourselves also with the same attitude as Christ, I think he's calling them to see who is with them in the battle, Jesus, and what kind of battle they're in. They're in a battle that's already been won for them in Christ. We did that during our time of confession this morning. We said that Jesus has covered all of our sins. Baptism is one of the symbols of this, and after I had this experience in high school shortly after I was baptized, it's the symbol that that old life has died, and um, we've been buried with Christ in baptism just through death. Romans 6 says, we therefore, we've been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Similarly, in 1 Peter 3, if we go back to chapter 3 in verse 18, we read, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Christ suffered in his body forever and dealt with humanity's sin. So Christ is with them in the battle. Do you think this morning that your sins separate you from God? They don't. Christ suffered in the body forever and dealt with humanity's sin. So Christ is with them in the battle, but what kind of battle are they in? They continue to struggle because their identity as Christians means that they don't fully fit into the culture. They were not always understood. Karen Job says that the pleasure from which Christians of the first century typically abstained were the popular forms of Roman entertainment. The theater with its risque performances, the chariot races, the gladiatorial fights with their blood and gore. The Christian lifestyle also condemned pleasures of an indulgent temper, sex outside of marriage, drinking, slander, lying, covetousness, and theft. These attitudes towards contemporary Roman customs and morals combined with the Christian's refusal to burn incense to the emperor, which was a gesture of civic gratitude intended to assure the well-being of the empire earned Christians the reputation of being haters of humanity and traitors to the Roman way of life. So all of that is just to say there were all of these Roman customs that these Christians outside of, of Rome could not participate in. Certainly, we don't have the same issues here this morning we aren't being asked to watch gladiatorial fights or burn incense and we should not be but we should not be surprised if sometimes we're maligned by others even people close to us even our family or passed over for a job promotion because we stand up when faced with a decision that feels unethical When we're asked to cut corners for a profit or tell just a little white lie that would give our kids a better position or just make life so much easier, there will be a kind of suffering as Christians. I think this means that our American cultural values have to be under subservient to our Christian identity and our values. This could mean abstaining from lying or not puffing ourselves up or serving our own interests or marginal, not marginalizing difference or not buying into cultural values for money or for prestige. That there will be suffering is a bit of a hard pill for us to swallow, I think, in our culture, because We want the maximum amount of pleasure and the minimum amount of pain. We look for ways to cut back on our stress, make our lives easier, simplify our lives, streamline things. We look for shortcuts, order ahead, reserve in advance, buy online, to avoid waiting or dealing with crowds and being around disagreeable people. But if Jesus experienced suffering, we as Christians can expect the same thing. That Christ suffered in his body means that he was crucified, but it doesn't mean that Jesus was a robot. He wasn't programmed to do God's will. Job says it would not do justice to to the fully human nature of Jesus. To assume that he fulfilled god's redemptive plan for his life without thought deliberation or decision jesus had to think and and deliberate and decide to follow the father's will jesus's agony in gethsemane indicate otherwise in fact throughout his human development jesus had consciously to embrace his calling and commitment to his relationship to the father Much as in a marriage where every day you choose to be married and you choose to put that person's needs and struggles before your own, Jesus's relationship to the Father involved deliberation and thought. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in uh, Hebrews 5 verse 8. Son, though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. It wasn't easy for Jesus, and it won't be easy for us either. What I don't want to do this morning is to glorify suffering. Suffering's not good in and of itself, it's suffering. Some suffering is also unjust. It's the result, um, it's not the result of our sin. Sometimes it's the result of other sins against us abuse or racism or systemic sin that causes poverty these are these are not things that are sent to teach us a lesson as if god was some kind of taskmaster and although we do sometimes learn great lessons in suffering this is god's grace to us and his promise to work all things together for our good even what was intended for evil the suffering I'm talking about this morning is suffering for doing good. So if suffering is not in and of itself, why go against why go against the flow? Does it really make much of a difference if I pretend not to be a Christian in certain social situations? Because I know it will cost me friendship. Wouldn't it be easier just to say in our culture in Seattle today that, Jesus is just one good spiritual practice among many others, and not that Jesus makes any exclusive claim to being God. Why did Peter find it worth it to leave his net and to follow Christ? He experienced something of the old life and the new life. In John 6, when many disciples had turned back and were no longer following Jesus. Jesus asked the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. In Matthew 16 verse 15, Jesus declares, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter declares, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus gives Peter a new name, too. Meeting Jesus always changes you. Peter's name is changed to the rock. He got a new calling to build my church and feed my sheep. Jesus has a calling for each one of us this morning here, too. Perhaps you were timid, and now your name is courageous. He has a new name and a new calling for each one of us here. God's will for you and for me is bigger than what we could ever imagine. And it's more joyful. Peter followed because he was transformed, a little bit like my experience in high school. But why did Jesus endure suffering? Jesus endured suffering, and this might be surprising, for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition, the writer to the Hebrews says, from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, God is not a killjoy. He's not a God who takes delight in suffering. The joy set before Jesus was the redemption of humanity. The will for of God for you and me is for our flourishing, wholeness, health, but it's not just for us, right? It's for the neighborhood. This doesn't mean there won't be moments of doubt and sin. Even Peter had these. In Luke 22, um, 54 through 62, Peter denies his friend Jesus. So this is after Peter has encountered Jesus. He doesn't want to be associated with him out of fear. When a servant girl sees him and remarks that he knew Jesus, he says, I don't know him and I'm not one of them. When the Lord turns and looks at Peter at that moment, he weeps. Sometimes we can crucify ourselves over and over again for sins we continue to struggle with. We wonder how we could continue to yell at our children or drink in secret or look at something on the Internet. And we crucify ourselves by berating ourselves or hiding or becoming lonely. And isolated but the good news for us this morning is that Jesus did not abandon Peter in his moment of failure in fact Jesus knows that this moment of failure is coming and he prays for Peter before it even happened this is how great God's mercy is for us Jesus continues to walk with Peter and to build his church upon the rock. Peter lives into his name through his failure as much as his success. Peter suffered here because of his sin. Not He didn't suffer for doing good in this instance. He lied to save his own hide. But later, as Peter matures in his faith, he does suffer for doing good. In Acts, 12 we find Peter in prison. He's been preaching the gospel and King Herod arrests him as part of a group to appease the powers. When Peter is in jail, the church comes alongside him in prayer and the church prays for Peter and the miraculous happens. The chains fall off, he walks past the guards and the iron gate is opened. If you feel like there's an iron gate this morning that won't open or chains that are weighing you down, whether it's a result of your sin or suffering for doing good, let me invite you to pray. Do you think that your prayers do anything? Look at the prayers of the church for Peter. The iron gate was opened. The chains fell off. Sometimes we may need to pray in community, not just alone by ourselves. This is what Peter invites us to this morning. He says, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Being alert and of sober mind means telling the truth to God about who you are and telling the truth about who God is. what prayer is a a truth telling conversation. We also pray from our baptism by remembering our position as sons and daughters, realizing that our sin does not separate us from God. Jesus has bridged that gap for us. Seeing Christ suffering as having dealt with your sin once and for all. And in prayer, we also see who has our back, who the Father is that's coming up behind us. As we're feeling bullied. Peter calls this community to love each other deeply. Prayer actually equips us to be able to love each other deeply. Naturally, I don't love the other. I love myself, but love is not this warm fuzzy feeling. Love is action. It We don't have to like someone to love them. And prayer transforms us into people who love. We love the other because God loves the other. As we use our gifts to serve one another, and as we offer hospitality to one another and speak to each other, we're using all of our collective gifts and and resources to arm ourselves for the battle. That's what we do here every Sunday, is arm ourselves for the battle. There are a multitude of gifts, and in the church you might receive from unexpected people. Community too is part of the new life that we have in Christ. Being born again, it means being born into a family with brothers and sisters. You're not alone. If you're being bullied this morning on the playground from voices within or voices without, if you're feeling shameful or belittled or unworthy, turn around and look at the father coming up behind you. Your enemies are already running. They know you don't stand a chance. See your father who loves you, who takes you in his arms and scoops you up and sends you out into the neighborhood to love others deeply. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Thank you that the old way of life is dead. And it doesn't mean we won't continue to struggle with sin, but it means God that our position is sure and firm. That we are your sons and your daughters; that nothing can separate us from your love. I pray, God, um, a blessing over this community as they continue to to love each other deeply. That the love that they have for one another would be um, that testimony to the neighborhood about who you are, about your love for us through Jesus Christ. And pray this.